I'm Lance. I'm Mike. And we are just these guys, you know. know. Welcome to another week. So I've I've got an idea that I want to just, I want to talk about this. I mentioned it earlier and it's kind of like the elephant in the air. And that is the topic of depression and the topic of suicide. Correct. This is February the 7th, as we're recording this, and I have an aunt who one year ago took her life because she just was overcome. I'm so uh, sorry. With Thank you. With depression, um, I, I just believe that, that people reach a moment of weakness that is too dark for them to find their way out. Right. I've seen faithful people, and she was a faithful person. She was a believer. Right. I've seen strong believers uh, go this way. I've seen people who have no faith go. It's so it it plays a role, but ultimately, if we are if we continue to just allow it to be the elephant in the air, the elephant in the room. We're going to lose some people who who reach those weak moments where we might be able to do something, because that's what we all feel. Sure, we all feel because we all know somebody, or if we don't know somebody personally, we know somebody who knows somebody. Yeah, this is an issue that that affects every family out there, and so I'm just as a psychologist, I want to get some of your thoughts uh, on how people. Um, like what we can do and some of the maybe the, the thoughts behind uh, what they're feeling. Um, I'm just going to let you talk. Sure. Well, you mentioned the elephant in the room, the elephant, in the air. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to uh, depression and certainly um, the idea of suicide, that is the elephant in the room that people don't want to talk about. Right. And they don't want to talk about it because they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. And so they don't say anything. Yeah. And I would encourage people uh, listening to this as we go through it. If you feel upset, if you feel uh, emotions coming up, you know, please know uh, there is a suicide hotline now. Right. And it is nine eight eight. And if you can't remember nine eight eight, always remember to call nine one one. They're, they're not going to send the police to arrest you. They actually have access to all sorts of emergency services. And depending on the community, they have mental health crisis vans or units that can come out and talk to you, talk to your wife, your child. But mm. make a phone call. When in doubt, make a phone call. Yeah. There's The worst thing we can do in these situations is not do anything. Sure. In the local area here, the crisis line is 316-660-7500, and we can Google anything nowadays, so please, uh, if you're feeling anything, pick up the phone, pick up the Google, and locate somebody to talk to or some services. Yeah. So, the idea of depression, I think most of us know what it kind of feels like and looks like. And so, uh, statistically speaking, um, the concept of a severe depression, uh, is less common. And depending on the study you read, it's estimated to be anywhere from 
6% to 25% lifetime that wow. somebody will experience a severe depression. Hmm. And at any given moment in time, um, we estimate about 10% of the population is experiencing a severe depression. And what do you do with that number? When you're standing in a crowd, yeah. when you're speaking to your congregation, mm-hmm. recognize that there's a one in 10% chance or 10% chance, one in 10 chance that somebody sitting in that audience is severely depressed. And if there's 200 people in there, there's 20 people. Yeah. So this is not an uncommon thing. I know 10% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you look around your family, sure. 10%, wow. there's one person in your household, there's a, a fair chance they're severely depressed. The signs of a severe depression, um, and this is not to minimize <laughs> moderate or mild depression or, or any other kinds of depressions that are out there. Right. They're all uh, difficult to deal with. They all make us miserable. But the severe depression, uh, if you're experiencing insomnia, you, you can't sleep at all, or you're sleeping, you know, 18 hours a day, 12 hours a day, and, mm. and you're you know, ready to go back to sleep as soon as you get up. Yeah. Irritability, a, a loss of interest in things that you used to enjoy, uh, hopelessness, persistent thoughts of something bad happening, mm. obviously thoughts of death or suicide or suicide attempts, and in very severe cases, uh, some people may actually experience hallucinations or delusions. Wow. And so somebody may be severely depressed and hear the voices of their uh, ancestors or their, their grandparents. Mm. Um, so uh, they also have trouble t- with uh, what we call ADLs, activities of daily living. So bathing, cleaning the house, feeding themselves, taking care of work responsibilities, when they're severely depressed, these things tend to fall away because they, they can't get out of bed. They have no motivation. They feel hopeless. They feel, why bother? Their thoughts are persistently focused on something bad happening, so they're not going to get in there and unload the dishwasher today. Yeah, right. Hmm. Now, if you know somebody who is expressing these kind of things looking like that, Talk to them. And when I say talk to them, that's when people say, well, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Go to them. Put your hand on their shoulder. Ask them how they're doing. Yeah. Sit with them. Yeah. We've called that just the, uh, well, in church, we call it the ministry of presence. Right. But just your presence. Yes. You don't have to worry about having the right words. No. You don't have to worry about being an expert on depression and anxiety. You just be there in fact (laughs) in those moments the last thing they need the last thing they want is to hear your little bits of advice sure they just want somebody to be present so they know they're connected so they have uh, somebody there to to be with and if in that presence there's a conversation that occurs great but otherwise listen let them talk Uh, and just be present, you know, the ministry of presence. Perfect. Yeah. Walk in and realize that God has given us two ears and one mouth. So just listen twice as much as you speak, as the saying goes, and be there. Yeah, that's, 
so huge. And but being being willing to, and this is what I'm trying to do a better job of, and I do a poor job of it. But being open to uh, seeing the signs, being open to being willing to be interrupted with what you feel like is what you got to get done today, what your plan is today, but to, to be sensitive to the people around us to be able to recognize because so often it's, it's an isolated situation where they are just, it's a, it's like they're drowning. Right. And when in it's silence, they're drowning in their own little world. And, and we need to be sensitive to what's going on in their world. We get so wrapped up in everything in our own world correct that it's it is challenging but if we're just all if we have a heightened sense of awareness of it if we want that if we desire that and we don't continue to allow it to be the elephant in the room and i just really think that even just one person if we can help one person it's going to make it's going to be worth it it's going to make a difference and a lot of times with people who are depressed they do fall through the cracks because they withdraw. Right. And we don't recognize that withdrawal as a sign of anything. In fact, we sometimes take that (laughs) as freedom. You know, that particular uh, church member has stopped calling every day. Thank goodness. Now I can get back to what I was focusing on doing. And, um, I've asked this, I've been asked this question a lot is what are the signs that we need to look for as people who are not trained in mental health? Yeah. And the best advice I can give people is look for changes. Mm. You know, mm. Think about their normal patterns that they've exhibited over the last six months or a couple of years. And if those start to change, mm. you know, if they're not calling you as much, if they're not going out as much, if they're not showing up to church, if they're not cleaning the house, if they're suddenly, they're not going on their bicycle rides anymore. If you see these kinds of changes, that's suggestive that something's going on uh, inside their mind that it could be depression. It could be other things, but sure. as a untrained person who just has family members or somebody who has a congregation and a flock to watch over, sometimes the absence of a sign is a sign. Mm. And so just watching for changes. Yeah, that's good. Well, I know that, uh, like I was saying, we all either know somebody or we have somebody close to us who has uh, experienced severe depression, has, has experienced, um, we've experienced loss through losing someone that we feel like, because this is natural for us to feel this way, that, that they're, they're sh- should have been, must have been something that we could have done different for them. Well, and the the truth is, and this is what a lot of mental health professionals have to learn and and come to grips with, is there is nothing you can do or could have done or should have done or would have done. Hmm. Um, one of the things when I was trained at the hospital, uh, when somebody come in depressed and suicidal, before we would let them out, we'd have them sign a suicide contract. And the contract was if you felt like injuring or hurting yourself or killing yourself, you would do these things first. Usually call a family member, call a friend, call a mental health professional, call 911. And they would, we would walk through the contract with them. And if they agreed, they would sign it. And that was a 
step towards being released from the hospital. Well, but what was interesting is the people who seriously intended to do it, they would sign the contract. Well, because that was the way out. Hmm. So, you know, this little tool we have to kind of measure compliance and, and motivation and hope is, you know, will they sign this or not? Some would say, I can't sign that. And then we would keep them around for a few more days to work with them, to help them feel better to where they felt they could go out on their own. But if they're going to do it, they're going to do it. Hmm. And they're going to, you know, say, sure, I'm fine. I'm doing great. And that's a lot of times the the last words people hear from somebody like that is I saw them the other day and they said they were doing great. Yeah. I'm so shocked this has occurred. Mm-hmm. And so the, the guilt and the blame game is, is not helpful. Mm. The, the, the main thing that can be helpful is if you see something, say something. Sure. You know, if you see that change in their behavior, if you see that change in their mood is to reach out, uh, call a family member and say, hey, Charlie seems to not be looking real well at work. Is everything okay? Is it, you might want to go check on him. Yeah. But you can't blame yourself for it because even psychologists, uh, all the fancy instruments we have and the training we have, we don't have a very good track record of predicting it either. Sure. And that's what research has shown us. It's not really predictable. There are signs mm-hmm. that we can look for that somebody is feeling suicidal. And some of those signs might be that you know, they're talking about wanting to die or wanting to kill themselves. They're looking for a way to kill themselves or they're searching for this online. Uh, they're talking about feeling hopelessness or having no reason to live or feeling trapped or that they're in unbearable pain. They're talking about being a burden to others. They're increasing their use of alcohol or drugs. Maybe they're acting more anxious or agitated sleeping too little, too much, uh, again, withdrawing, um, and, you know, maybe displaying extreme mood swings, but ultimately it's not, you know, predictive, but it is putting them in a higher risk category. Yeah. If they have family members in the past who have taken their lives, you know, there's other risk factors that, you know, we can look for to try to figure out if this person's at a higher risk. Risk factors for suicide, uh, a current or past history of of substance abuse, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a greater degree of likelihood they will actually follow through and kill themselves if they're abusing substances. Mm. Uh, A past history of suicide attempts, family history of suicide attempts that tends to normalize the action uh, that if a parent or grandparent or sister or brother have done it in the past. Yeah. Uh, If there's a family history of mental illness or substance abuse, that would suggest that what they're struggling with is more entrenched and more difficult to deal with than uh, somebody who doesn't have that past history. If they have firearms in the home, that's a higher risk factor if they've been incarcerated. Uh, if they're expressing feelings of hopelessness, think you know things they may say or in some shape or form that um, might raise the risk level um, as we're observing that person. If they talk about you know they can't stop the pain, and a lot of people in chronic pain get to a point where they're just so overwhelmed by their 
Yeah. Their aches and pains, their backache, their headaches, their neck aches, the, you know, the surgeries aren't working. Right. And they, you know, they're getting frustrated about not being able to stop that pain. Um, that they can't make decisions hmm. and, and you'll see them kind of going back and forth about things and they just can't really ever come to a decision about stuff. If they can't see a way out of their situation or if they're expressing uh, feelings of hopelessness and helplessness and worthlessness. And so phrases they may drop here or there when they're saying these kinds of things, there's higher risk levels here that they're depressed, maybe severely depressed. And uh, certainly uh, we want to be aware of suicide as a, the ultimate option that they may choose. So when you hear these kind of things, take action. And you can apologize later if you're wrong. Sure. Uh, yeah. And if, if we were going to, you know, put into action just the idea that being there, being present is the most important thing. You know, I think if, if there was anything that we were to say from a, a spiritual perspective, if they're wondering, because a lot of times they're wondering to themselves, you know, where's God? Where, if, why do I feel this way? If God is such a good God, right? it doesn't feel like he's with me or for me. Right. I just I believe where the scripture says that God is with the brokenhearted, that we can just encourage them that, that he is. He yes. cares. Yes. He's here and, and he may very well be here through me. Yes. He, he's there through us. And so that's where our presence is is critical. Well, a question that comes up um, and I've heard it a number of times is the family member of somebody who committed suicide, their concern is because they committed suicide, they're not going to heaven. Right. And as a pastor, do you have any thoughts about well, that? Well, I don't, I don't believe, my personal belief is, and, and I just don't think that you find anywhere in scripture where it talks about condemning uh, people who, who take that. The same God who was willing to put on skin and come here for our brokenness, for come into the darkness, bring light into the darkness. I don't believe that that's the same God who would condemn someone to an eternity separated from him, an eternity in hell because they reached a dark place and a weak moment. I believe that God, like I just said, is with the brokenhearted. He came for us and he is he he was willing to go all the way to death for us. So there's not a place that's dark enough for him not to bring light into. Right. And I just believe that uh, grace, uh, the grace that, that we have been covered with, the blood of Christ is there for us, maybe especially in our weakest moments. Sure. So to be clear, if my brother commits suicide and he has been saved for five or six years. Sure. He's going to be in heaven when I get there. That's exactly what I believe. Okay. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, thank you, Doc. Well, and real quick, um, from a mental health side, mm -hmm. uh, please know that if you have any kind of feelings of depression or anxiety or grief or you've experienced trauma in the past, treatment is 60 to 80% effective for severe depression. Mm, wow. 
the problem is that about 25% of people who are severely depressed, they don't seek out the treatment. Sure. And they're the ones we you know, have to worry about as to following down that road and heading towards suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whether, and I'm not here to endorse a treatment. I want you to go to your family physician or uh, your own therapist and talk about these things. But there's medications. There's different types of talk therapy. Mm-hmm. There's various ways to treat severe depression. And these ways work. Yeah. So please, uh, if you're feeling depressed, please pursue treatment. And again, those numbers, uh, the National Suicide Hotline is 988. Pick it up. Hit those numbers. Call. Somebody will be there to talk to you. 911 is always a good number to call. Those people are ready to listen and get you the emergency help that you need. And then finally, in the local area here, 316-660-7500 is the crisis line. But, you know, grab Google, type in uh, crisis line near me. You're going to get an answer. And make sure that you do seek help. And if you know somebody who's struggling and you're seeing something, say something. You can always apologize later. But do step up, do intervene, and do ask how they're doing. Absolutely. God loves you. And I want to thank you because that's a difficult topic to come in here and talk about mm-hmm. your personal experience having lived through this. Yeah, it's as you're experiencing it. Um, so I remember you know, at the time when it was going down and the aftermath. You know, you still had to carry on with your duties of tending for other people, but you yourself um, were struggling with thoughts of guilt and worry and depression and sadness and replaying, you know, the the previous weeks and months trying to figure out what you could have done differently, what you did see, didn't see. Yeah. It was a difficult time for you. Yeah. As my... uh you know, my dad has, I don't, I always struggle if I feel like I'm making it anything about me. Right. That may be part of what leads people to isolating and becoming depressed. Sure. I, as I look back, cause my dad is always asking me, are you okay? Sure. He's good at, at, if he feels it, he asks it. Yeah. He's very good at that. And now, I've seen him do that. Too, yeah. So that's. And nine times out of 10, I tell him, I'm okay. Nine times out of 10, he was right to ask. Nine times out of 10, you were not okay. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so. um, And again, for the audience here, your dad's stepping up. He's asking, are you okay? You're saying, I'm fine. Yeah. What if you weren't feeling okay and he didn't ask? How would that feel? Yeah, it would feel like. Like, I need him to have my back and to ask. Even if I say, no, it feels better having him ask. And then I also, and I get to where I feel a little, I'm pushed just a little bit to maybe next time he asks, I'm going to really tell him how I'm feeling. (laughs) Because there is a weight that, that every, it's like the old, 
analogy of duct tape. Every time you put it on a surface and you take it off, it picks up some of what was sure. there. And then as you continue, sure. it just gets less sticky, less sticky, less effective. Right. And so ministry is that way yeah. where you, you carry a little bit of every situation with you. And then mm -hmm. eventually you become ineffective unless yeah. you deal with the fact that you need to process. Correct. You need to talk to somebody. And so I, I am absolutely, uh, I'm with everybody in terms of knowing that I, there are certain things that, that we have available sure. to us to be able to uh, receive the help that we need. And so for somebody who might hear this, I hope that that's exactly what uh, can happen. Uh, just reach out. Sure. Yeah. yeah just reach out. Both it, directions. Both yeah. directions. If you're struggling, reach out. If you see somebody struggling, reach out to them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, this has been another episode of we're just these guys, you know. You know. I'm Lance. Uh, Mike. We're just these guys, you know. And tune in next week for another episode of the podcast. See you.